we group our, each other, we divide each other up, we divide into these little like subgroups and then we act like our resources are only the ones right here in this group. And I think I've loved my whole career being like, well, what are they doing over there in the design world? Let's take some of that. Like, what are they doing over there in accounting? Let's take some of that, you know? That's a really, it's a fun way to go and it teaches you a ton. Like cross-pollinating like that is very powerful. Before we jump into episode one, I want to let you know that this is brought to you by Trade Coffee. Can you believe it? For episode one, we have this incredible sponsor. I reached out to Mike Lackman, the CEO of Trade, and said, hey, I'm starting this podcast. Do you want to sponsor it? And he said, heck yes. So not only is the organization led by an incredible CEO, but Trade Coffee is just this incredible product. You get to brew your best cup of coffee from home. So check it out at drinktrade.com slash BNW. That stands for brand new women. And you'll get $20 off your first three bags of coffee from Trade. I'll tell you more about it later in the episode. But in the meantime, I wanted to let you know that not only only are we getting off the ground today with brand new women, but we're getting off the ground with some really incredible partners. I'm Scarlett Batchelor, and this is the brand new women podcast. And guess what? This is episode one. I am so excited. Today, we're talking to Hannah Cole, who is an accomplished artist and the founder of Sunlight Tags. In her work and in her career trajectory, Hannah unifies the seemingly unrelated worlds of being an artist and being a creative, really that expansive view with the rigor and analytics of being an accountant and a financial professional. And in doing so, Hannah creates unique value in the market and has created a platform that really is unmatched within the competitive landscape. In this conversation, Hannah and I talk about the themes and power of curiosity, of being choiceful in one's career, especially at key moments in life, finishing school, becoming a mom, and the power of making connections across seemingly unrelated worlds. Hannah, thanks for being here. Oh my gosh, that was such a lovely intro. Thank you so much, Scarlett. It's awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Hannah and I go way back, um, but it's really exciting today to reconnect on all of this because as much as Hannah and I go back on a personal level, a lot of this material and conversation is new to me. I, I love following Sunlight Tax on Instagram, um, but I'm really excited to dig in more. So Hannah, within the podcast, I really like to focus on wins. And especially as women leaders, I think so often we want to go to our failures or our areas for improvement, but mm -hmm. feeling comfortable with talking about those wins. I love your background and kind of your route to this expertise um, in Sunlight Tax. So can you talk a little bit about your wins and also your background? How did this business and this enterprise come about? Sure. Um, 
What's funny about the wins is I actually feel that they often go hand in hand with losses. Like it's hard to unbraid them from each other. So, you know, like, especially as a, so, you know, anybody who's socialized as a woman is like, we have this sort of perfectionist women have to be perfect kind of a culture. And it's hard for us to embrace like failure and mistakes and trying things and doing a terrible job. But um, that's how I've, that's how I built my business. And that's, that's, I think everything that's good is because I did it badly the first time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but so I guess my story is I, first and foremost, I'm an artist, you know, I've always identified as an artist from like, from forever. And, um, but when I graduate, when I got out of graduate school, I just had this total, like, oh my goodness moment, because I was like, how long? how on earth am I going to handle my taxes? You know, like I just couldn't, it was really hard to figure out. And I was like, I'm not even sure what counts as income. I don't even know what I get taxed on. I don't know how to figure out like what the rules are. Um, and it felt impossible to get good information. Um, it was like scary to pay a professional when I thought that the professional might have no idea what I did um, all day and might sort of belittle me. And when I say that, that's not theoretical. I hired my dad's accountant and that's what happened. Isn't that um, so interesting? Almost feeling like two different sides of the planet or something. Oh, absolutely. I mean, artists and accountants really are basically the opposite end of the spectrum. One is extremely risk averse and the other is living on the edge. I mean, they are. Yeah. They are. One is like afraid to stand out ever. And the others like have purple hair on are always the black sheep. So, I mean, it's like they're literal opposites. Um, but I, I think that's like a theme as I was thinking about this, our chat today, I've been thinking about this theme of opposites and like taking, um, it, taking lessons from like very different places and pulling them together. That's sort of, I don't know, to me, a thing that's really exciting and art and accounting is definitely one of the opposites that I pulled together. But um, I guess you're asking me to tell sort of like how I got into this because it is definitely yeah. weird that like a professional painter started a tax company. Yeah, um, absolutely. And professional painter, highly accomplished. I mean, I remember when you were in your MFA program, I mean, it's really incredible where you're coming from and to your point kind of marrying the purple hair with the pocket protector and visor yeah, so can you talk a little bit about that journey or that route and to your point I'm really curious when you talk about the risks of the artist versus kind of that steadiness of an accountant how have those two opposites woven together within your journey yeah. Well, I mean, in many, in many ways and constant as a constant back and forth for sure. So personally, I, um, like when I got out of art school, I literally checked a book out from the library about taxes, um, and I read it and, um, it was okay. It gave me some information about freelance taxes, which is essentially what creative people's taxes are. And, um, and then I went to my dad's accountant to get my taxes done. And it was a risk for me because it cost a lot of money as a, you know, new grad, grad student. And I wasn't making a ton. And um, he just like barely paid any attention to me, had no curiosity about me, but also made assumptions about where I was coming from as an artist, that I was some kind of dilettante. And I'm not, <laughs> just for the record. Um, 
And it just was, it was a humiliating experience. Like I thought I would be able to get all this advice and information about like, you know, like setting up retirement accounts and like money management and nothing. Like I couldn't even ask a single question because he was so like, just made me feel so awful that I didn't know business terminology. Um, it was like that old, I don't, I don't know if it even happens anymore, but like, I remember as a high school kid, like going into a hardware store from time to time and having the guys in the hardware store, like deliberately try to intimidate me by using lots of lingo to make sure I didn't know what they were talking about. It felt like that. Yes. Um, that's how I feel about bike mechanics sometimes. <laughs> um, isn't it amazing? These topics that yeah, they, they can almost, it feels like sometimes you can be deliberately intimidated, but conversely, mm -hmm. sometimes I kind of identify the best leaders and peers by someone who is more curious about how information is received than how it's pushed out. And it sounds like this accountant, he's just mm -hmm. pushing, pushing this information out. Totally. And you know, I came to learn, I will just, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but when I went back to school for accounting, I came to learn that there is a lot of room in the world for lousy accountants. And this is not something I've experienced as an artist. I mean, I, in the art world, if you, if you're not operating at a very high level, you're just not going to keep going. Like, cause there's not going to be room for you. It's competitive. It's very competitive. And, um, you know, like if your work isn't excellent and you aren't very professional and very capable of speaking up for yourself, you just won't get anywhere. And so it was so strange for me to be around accountants and realize that like, you can be a pretty terrible communicator. You can be like, um, make lots of mistakes and, uh, you know, there, there's people still have to get their taxes done. <laughs> so that was interesting. Yeah. Kind of these opposites can continue to play out. Oh yeah. I mean, all over the place. Yeah. So one of the other crystallizing moments, that awful experience with my dad's accountant, that was a real, that was a moment where I felt all the pain and I realized like there has got to be something better than this. Um, and like, I could not get my needs served. Um, but the sort of like other real crystallizing moment in my journey was that when I was, um, when I was living in New York city and, um, it, when I was in New York, like I had a baby and it was rough because I had not thought through the economics of it. I had just sort of assumed that the fact that I had married a feminist would mean like, great, I get to keep making my work and my career will keep going and all set. Well, that was not true because <laughs> New York is expensive. And, um, it just, the economics of my situation just forced my hand where like I had to become a stay-at-home parent and it wasn't what I wanted to do. Now, respect to the stay-at-home parents, especially the ones who want to be, and this, you know, you can get forced into a situation where you have to work um, because you're the breadwinner um, when you want to stay at home. But just in general, the idea of like getting forced to do something because of money is an awful feeling of powerlessness. And that's what I felt when I had a baby. Um, yeah. and then, so I got this job at a design firm and, um, like a part-time job. So basically just so I could afford like a little bit of childcare to have a little bit of studio time. Yeah. And it was an amazing place to work. I loved it. The design team was so smart. Their work was so good. Um, I had never dealt with interactive design. It's very tech. And it was just like, 
so exciting to me because I'm a painter. That's like a 500 year old art. Um, and I loved it. And in this firm, like what I realized was that the people, the creative people love to do the creative work and they weren't super interested in the business side. Like, of course they're intelligent people and they could handle it, but they really wanted the freedom to do their work unencumbered. And the more I could clear the path for them, the better they did. And also I found that in that role as a project manager there, because I was so curious about their work and asking them questions and trying to learn from them. And it was so clear that I was an artist to artist way of speaking. Like I just really respected their work. Um, I found that the communication was really easy um, and that I had a bit of a knack for it because like, you know, we were peers and they, they got that I got them. And so the more I learned about the business side stuff, the more I was really able to help um, the team and the company. And I was like, oh, this business stuff is really great. Like this is helping them do a better job. This is helping them deliver. Um, and it, so it was awesome. But then this terrible thing happened where <laughs> I knew that the numbers were like not under control. I knew that my boss didn't know how much profit he had. Um, and I convinced him to hire a bookkeeper and get that set up. And at the time, you know, I'm just an artist. I didn't know accounting at that time. And um, I actually even went back to school for accounting to like get started trying to learn and bring it to this company. But I was too late. As soon as he got the books set up, he realized he was bleeding money um, and absolutely not profitable. And pretty much like the same day or within the week, every single one of us got called into the office and let go and the company ended. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. That's so that so was like- you in some ways saw it coming, but nonetheless were, were powerless to change that trajectory. Absolutely. Cause I didn't have the skills or the knowledge. I didn't know what needed to be done. Yeah. So, um, but it was a real like gut level feeling of how badly things can go when you don't know where your numbers are. Interesting. So to kind of follow that trajectory, right? So painter, Mm -hmm. tons of momentum, you become a mom, you, your choiceful moment is, Hey, I want to keep working. You come to this design firm, start to really kind of appreciate and illuminate this side of business. And all of a sudden this, this theme of financial planning comes up, but with a huge failure, not specific to you, but nonetheless, you're, you're brought down with that sinking ship. How did that change your trajectory? You shared, you were starting to kind of look into accounting and all that. What, what happened Mm -hmm. next? Yeah, well, it was so painful. Um, and it was tragic because it was such a talented team. Like on the one hand, they were doing such good work. It was just a tragedy to see that happen. Also, I was out of a job. (laughs) Yeah. I had to figure something out. So I just decided, like I said, I had already taken one accounting class and it was really interesting. And I sort of like, it started unlocking some things for me. And I was like, oh, like there are actual answers. There are, there are answers to these problems. They exist. Like this isn't an unknown thing. It's just something my community isn't steeped in. And so I just had this kind of thunderbolt um, combining that experience and the, you know, my dad's accountant experience and the economic powerlessness experience. And I was like, you know what, I know the company that needs to exist. 
um, I just fully had the vision for it. And I, um, I think artists do this a lot. I wouldn't be surprised if entrepreneurs also do this a lot, but I just, I had this vision of a company that had to happen. And I was like, I'm going to build it. That's the company I'm going to make. And it's a company that serves artists and creative people with tax information, tax and financial information. And um, so that this never happens, this crash and burn never happens to anybody else. I don't want any other new moms like <laughs> losing the amazing work they're doing because they didn't know where the numbers were. So I just went all the way back to school for accounting and um, got my enrolled agent's license and um, a couple years later started Sunlight Tax. That's incredible. So if we kind of measure time off of the age of your oldest child. Um, mm -hmm. How many years ago was that? How old is your oldest child? Sure. She's 11. And um, let's see, I had a second child in this timeline. Um, yeah. So let me see. 2016 is when I actually started Sunlight Tax. So 2014, 15, 16 was me going back to school and taking my exams. Yeah. Wow. And, and also working in some tax agencies in New York. That's so exciting. That's yeah. so exciting. So yeah. this is this is great. I feel like we've gotten a great sense of kind of your background and some themes are, are starting to emerge as well. Kind of this concept of curiosity, um, kind of noticing when it's present within yourself and those around you, maybe that dad's tax accountant didn't have it, kind of the, the concept of choicefulness, right? In terms of whatever decisions you make in your lifestyle, how can you be in that driver's seat? And, and finally, a concept of connections, kind of connecting those concepts and using those connected ideas to push a path forward. And before we keep the conversation going, I just wanted to pause for a moment and recognize our amazing sponsor of this first brand new women podcast. And that sponsor is Trade Coffee. Um, I have been a member of Trade for over two years. My husband, Sam, got trade as a gift for me. And it is this incredible way to get just the tastiest freshly roasted coffee um, at home. And I don't know if you know, Hannah, but 90% of the coffee that you get at the grocery store or wherever else is stale. So trade allows you to brew your best cup of coffee at home. It's fresh roasted, it's ethically sourced, and it ships free as often as you like. Um, Trade Coffee has taste tested over 400 different roasts and through their customized quiz and who doesn't love a great quiz, you can really use their technology to find your favorite roast and then choose when you want it delivered. And you can always change cancel, et cetera. So if you want to get in on this, it's pretty incredible. Just go to drinktrade.com slash BNW. Those letters stand for brand new women. So that's drinktrade.com slash BNW, and you'll get $20 off your first three bags. So highly recommend you check it out. Hannah, are you a coffee drinker? I am. I have mine right here. And I'm like, am I allowed to drink on this podcast? So yeah, that do it. Always <laughs> allowed my coffee is like close at hand at all times. Oh, I'm so with you. I have mine right in front of me and we actually got our beans delivered just earlier this week. It's just, oh, it's such a pleasure. 
So cool. Well, this has been great to kind of get the, the background and start to see some of those themes emerging. And certainly, I don't know that you named them, Hannah, but in terms of those wins, um, I'm just going to say, you know, looking at a market with two disciplines that seem so polar opposite between accounting and being an artist and being able to be curious about the disconnects and start to form a bridge across those disconnects that ultimately drives just a ton of value in market and the trajectory of sunlight tax has just been so wild and amazing to watch so just in case you didn't catch any of that there are quite a few wins in there but to turn the page a little bit, I want to talk about losses. And I know you talked about so much of this is opposites, right? Opposite points of view, losses that come with wins. But I'm curious, either now, as your platform has gained some incredible scale, or along the way, are there any losses where you look at those moments and say, oh, crap, but also perhaps they've informed your outlook or, or driven kind of more value in the future. How do you kind of reflect on your losses? Yeah. I mean, it's funny that you phrase it that way. Scarlett It's very intuitive. Like I, I literally am just coming through a big, a big and painful loss very recently. And even only like three, four weeks out from like a pretty rough experience, I'm already feeling incredible clarity and benefit from it, um, that it's actually, well, super painful. So let me just name what it is. So like this, um, employee, I would say kind of like a linchpin employee who's sort of like air traffic control for the company. Um, you know, I mean, she was unhappy. I think we both knew it, but, um, she left, she left right as tax season was heating up. And, um, that's really painful. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so, um, that was super, it was so, it was in fact so painful and, um, that I really had to kind of make some decisions. I had to go into triage mode and, um, that has actually been so valuable. I I mean, I really actually can't overstate how valuable it's been because I, there have been things in this company that are not automated enough and that are too complex, like my programs, my membership programs. If my employees are still asking me how they work like five, six months in, they're too complicated. (laughs) My systems are too complicated. So for a long time, you know, they say like build it, you know, do the minimum viable um, product first, which is what I did. And I feel like I ran this off of bubble gum and tape for a long time. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just like time to be more automated and streamlined and have things more scalable. And um, so losing this employee was painful and it forced me to let go some of the sort of, I don't know, least performing, shall I say, of my offerings and um, just kind of look at like where I actually want to focus because there's just one of me and I can only do so much. So I would say I've gained a ton of focus in the last just couple of weeks once I took a breath. (laughs) Yeah, right. Isn't it interesting? You know, as painful as it is, it, it feels really powerful to name something and perhaps just to be straight up with ourselves and say, oh crap, that was a failure. But to that Mm -hmm. point, it's a clean slate. 
like how how do you look at it and how do you look at it and maybe I don't know about you but sometimes that adrenaline in that moment gives me a clairvoyance that I might not have otherwise do you think that adrenaline plays in at all I do yeah I it's funny I don't think of it as adrenaline but yeah it totally is that um in fact, I think some of, sometimes when I'm having the most painful experiences is what calls me to be my best self. Um, and I've had, you know, I, I feel like it's this kind of why I love hanging around with women who are 40 plus is like, they've been through stuff, <laughs> you know, like yes, we've totally. been hurt and it's like, what makes them interesting? Like, but I feel this myself, like when really awful stuff happens, I'm like, okay, time to focus, time to, time to triage what's most important. And I should always do that. But when life's easy, I don't. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It's almost like, yeah, being in that shoot. And by the way, thank you for talking during tax season. um, (laughs) You do almost get that, that other state of mind and yeah, maybe age starts to play into it too. Cause there there's less room for that BS. You just put it all on the table and then find that path path forward. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. I mean, I think in my twenties, I felt much more subject to the winds of the world. I mean, I still had a lot of my good qualities, but, um, I feel like I was like a little sapling that got kind of whipped around a lot. And now I just feel more solid, you know, like the wind still blows through my leaves, but I can stand my own. I can, I can stand up. <laughs> so. I love that. I love that visual. Oh, that's awesome. Well, you know, we've, we talked about kind of your history and your background um, and also kind of, you know, that's a bit historic. And then talking about the loss um, and kind of your, your relook at your systems, which was kind of brought on by this team shift as you look forward, can you talk a little bit about any kind of really hot project projects currently or how, how you're looking forward, especially as the market is very different technology, you know, you reflected on painting being this very old discipline, you reflected on the technology component in your agency life. What are your current projects and how is technology or just the overall market playing into your focus now and going forward? Yeah, well, um, in my actual business, I'm using a lot of technology. One is just automating more stuff. So there's that. Um, I'm building an evergreen funnel. Anyone who's in like online course creation might know what that is. If you don't, it's basically sort of a way to sell um, like a a course type product um, on autopilot. It's, or they, that's the marketing. It's not really automatic. (laughs) It's actually a ton of work. Evergreen funnel term immediately after this podcast. Yeah. But it's, it's very, it's very technical. There's a lot of tech involved in it. It's like automated email sequences and timers and, um, you know, just it's, it's taken me months to like put this thing together and there've been many sort of failed iterations, but so there's that, but then, um, also I am really excited about a project I'm doing with my husband who has a software engineer. Um, we have been building some NFTs together. <laughs> um, oh, this is so exciting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's one, one of those terms. I hear about it and, you know, 
we recently invested in crypto mostly because our 10 year old is really into it, but ooh, I'm a little bit intimidated, Hannah. Can, can you talk more? Well, part of, part of the idea is really actually as a project to break down this complicated subject and like help because I'm, I'm a pretty active writer. I have an active blog. And so we have created actually a whole dedicated blog um, dedicated to this NFT project where we're using our own experience and taking on a joint project to explain the components and like teach our audience about the world of cryptocurrency and the blockchain and NFTs and DAOs and all that stuff. And um, it is intimidating, but you know, in a way like breaking down tax information for people who aren't taxed accountants is sort of, that's sort of my jam. And so this is very related and aligned to that. Plus it's kind of fun because it's got this visual component and it feels extremely cutting edge. So there's something kind of fun about that. Wow. What is it like to collaborate with your partner? I I assume that most days you're kind of dancing in your own lane. Um, How has that unfolded? Uh, so far, so good. We have a very spotty history in this area. Um, I wouldn't say that we work amazingly together, um, because we both have opinions. Um, but it's, it's been pretty great. If I'm honest, my husband has been kind of leading the charge on the tech side and he's been doing much of the writing, um, which is quite a shift because I do all the writing on, you know, the sunlight tax blog. Um, but it's been, it's been really fun. And it's, it's kind of pushed me a lot because like, I can be a little old school in my approach to my own artwork. And it is traditionally an area where I'm very touchy and very, um, passionate and let me say inflexible. (laughs) And so like taking, taking work of mine that like has my sort of professional name on it and shifting it into this forum where I have less control and, you know, there's a generative component to the work we're doing. So just to explain that to everybody, I feel as an artist, I always want the medium I'm working with to be sort of appropriate to the work or the meaning of the work itself. And so to me, if you're going to work digitally, you want to take advantage of some of those special things about being a digital product um, project. So it shouldn't look just like a painting to me. Like, yeah. why not just make a painting if that's what you're going to do? So to me, one of the cool things about digital artwork is that it can shift over time. So we are, um, and it can be randomized. Um, so we're actually doing things like where the palette of these pieces um is randomly generated. And so if you mint one of these NFTs, you might not know which colors you were going to get. Um, so that's kind of exciting. And there's definitely an element of like letting go of the steering wheel to me. That is so exciting. And I have to say, tree of trust here with all of our friends listening. I agree, you know, Sam, my husband and I, you know, we collaborate so well, but when you bring work disciplines together, it's funny, I was cleaning out my hard drive the other day and I found a leadership presentation he and I did together five years ago. And I always have thought like, hey, our end game, these paths will merge, but it is interesting in terms of this concept of identity and relationship and what comes together. And what stays separate, um, 
Mm. It is interesting. I am very curious in my own life to see how that plays out over time and frankly have been surprised that as we jam and bob and weave so well, as we raise a family and manage a household, sometimes it's a little stickier when you start to bring in this stream of personal identity um, to that improvisational jazz together in something more professional. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, I have hardcore butted heads with my husband over this. And he he would be the first to tell you, like, I'm not that fun to work with. <laughs> it's amazing. All of a sudden, it's like a different facet of the personality that you're like, how did I not see that? And also, we've been like quarantining together for a few years. But yeah, layers and layers, right? Totally. Well, and also, I will say, like, um, me in the professional space, I'm different. I'm, I'm different and I own it and I like owning it. And so when we get, you know, we bring this dynamic that I have with my husband and the personal life into the professional, then I'm like, no, no, I'm the expert here. Be quiet. Totally. (laughs) Totally. Well, you know, I want to actually build on that too. One one thing that is really, I'm really curious about, you know, this podcast is called brand new women. And certainly I know for myself, um, who I am, shapes my work and it's not just gender it's kind of you know family of origin hobbies passions family all that um but we're starting to get there as we just talked about your nft project um but can you talk and maybe this is too broad but like how does your identity shape your work and and how has that vacillated over the years as how you define yourself has perhaps shifted over the decades Sure. It's funny to look back and see themes like common themes across your whole life. It's hard to identify them early on, but um, I would say one of them is just democracy with a small D. Um, I feel very democratic in my upbringing, in my outlook on life, in the way that I see the world. Um, And just to illustrate that a little better, like my parents who are, you know, somewhat well-to-do deliberately moved us as a family to a working class town. It's no longer a working class town, just for the record, but it was when I was growing up. And um, and it was important to them that my friends be like, you know, working class in addition to just like, you know, doctor and lawyer friends, which is what they could have done. And um, so I had, you know, like one of my best friends, her dad was a truck driver. And, you know, I just like had a lot of friends and they were all smart and interesting and we loved each other, but it's always made me see like, oh, smart people are everywhere. <laughs> smart people aren't just like up in my circle or, and um, I don't know. So I, there's something about that. And then seeing all the resources that I have had access to in my life because of certain privileges I grew up with. Um, and then realizing that a lot of people I know don't have them, don't have access to them, or even if they do technically have access to them, they don't feel like they do. They don't feel like it's like, quote, for them. And um, so I think that's been a theme of my life is just like trying to help make things feel accessible and trying to like use my, I don't know, position of privilege, I guess is is the way to say it. but to kind of like welcome, welcome people in who haven't felt welcome. Um, yeah. So with sunlight tax, that means artists and weirdos. And I have a really strong focus on BIPOC, um, and trans and queer people. And so like, I, you know, I really deliberately teach 
to people who feel, you know, people from historically marginalized groups, um, you know, like talk about racial equity and the wealth gap in a lot of my work, because, you know, like there's all this stuff in the tax code about home ownership and like, you kind of have to talk about how the fact that actual U.S. legislation pretty much shut Black people out of home ownership for many, many decades, centuries of U.S. history. So yeah, it's not fair to speak as though everybody has the same access because, you know, we are absolutely not all starting from the same place. So that that makes a lot of sense. And it, it feels like so much of this reflects back on not the failure, but but the hiccup of that original dad's tax accountant. You talked to so much of your work with that kind of fulcrum of democracy is about curiosity and empathy um, and empowerment. It, that makes a lot of sense to identify democracy as kind of that fulcrum um, as you cross the divide and drive value um, across, as you said, traditionally marginalized populations. Totally. And actually, you know, there's an insight I would love to share, um, Scarlett, with you that I was thinking about. I think like I think I feel a, a sense for accessibility because as a woman, I have experienced discrimination and I have experienced being underestimated. Um, and I think but I also have experienced privilege. And so I can sort of see both sides of that. And I think what I want to say to anybody, any woman or, you know, female identified person listening, um, but also anybody from any historically marginalized group is that you have a superpower um, because if you have had to operate in a world that doesn't always see you or underestimates you, you see things they don't see. And um, there's business opportunity in that. So um, I just want to kind of point that out, that that is, of course, there's hardship that can come with that, but there is, there's an edge too. And, and that's actually kind of one of the exciting things I see in the direction that the world is going. Now, equity and access is really important. And that's why I personally choose to work on that so hard, um, you know, teaching people financial skills. But, um, but I do think that like, it's cool to see what your superpower is because I don't think we all always know it. Yeah, I love that idea. And I love those two, I mean, different themes that just came out that are so enlightening. I mean, the one kind of leveraging that different perspective of being of a marginalized population of one way or another, almost as if they're 3D glasses that allow you to look at the market differently and see opportunities that others might not. But then mm -hmm. also kind of that, that female perspective. And as a white female, I often kind of struggle here, but that dichotomy you brought up of on one hand, in some environments being marginalized, but then on the other hand, in other environments, certainly being of privilege and being able to kind of recognize both of those parts and allow that dichotomy to really enfranchise you to make more of a positive impact um, and really just think about your touch points with the market and with the world. For sure, yeah. And I, I have found so much, um, I don't know, joy, gratitude, my world opening up by putting myself into like groups, entrepreneurial groups where I'm not the only white person. I'm not the only person like able-bodied person. 
um, I found that really helpful because it's so we're so um, segregated and stratified in this country. I mean, I guess in the whole world. And um, just like just seeing, just being curious about everybody else and just like being, you know, as a white person, it's very easy to stay in a completely white world, which is, uh, I don't think a good thing. Um, but it's just really cool to see like how much broader the world is and these perspectives that, you know, like I said, um, people have their superpowers. It's cool to witness it. Absolutely. I love it. So you kind of started to talk about vision for the future. I'm really curious as, as you look forward, what is your hope for that next generation of creative leaders, of business leaders? I don't know if you think of it in the context of your children or even the clientele that you see kind of coming into Sunlight Tax. What, what is your hope? Hmm. I, I think the creative people, and I include entrepreneurs in that because I think entrepreneurship is incredibly creative. Um, I think that creative people are doing the work that will change the world. And um, I want to see more of it. And I literally think that economic power is how we'll see more of it. And that's why I do what I do. So that's my vision. That's my actual like company vision and my actual just like hope and dream for the world. Um, but something that I love within that is just, I love seeing everybody's like unique freaky flavor. And I love the, I've seen a real evolution. Like when I was in college, I saw not, I don't think I got an explicit message of this, but I got a definite implicit message that business was for straight white men and only a certain kind of straight white man, even like a very athletic one and a sort of like, uh, I don't know, country clubish. And, um, and that, and I was like, well, that's not me, you know? And I, so like completely wrote off business and, um, because I didn't see myself in that. And, um, I get really excited just like looking at all the cool businesses that are starting now that are like, for serving all kinds of populations with all kinds of problems that um, have been ignored. So, um, you know, I don't know. There's there's so many problems to address in the world and it's so exciting to think of like all the people who see this problem that nobody else sees, that like visionary possibility. Um, so I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the idea that like my girls can, you know, decide to form a business if they want to. and. Uh, I'm going to have to model a little less stressed outness though. <laughs> if they're going to start a business, I think I haven't made it look appealing in the uh, last, in the yeah. last couple of years, but. Oh, it's tough. It is wild and it is tough, but I love that idea of kind of, and we touched on it before too, but taking what perhaps is seen as a liability, that outsider mentality, and instead really leveraging that different perspective for the next generation. And rather than looking at that country club, certain shoes, certain look, seeing that as an open marketplace that is ripe for innovation and really seeing one's own unique perspective and sometimes outsider perspective that will ultimately drive that value and drive that differentiation. I love that concept. Oh yeah. I mean that outside, I love that word outsider. It's like, I actually think that is maybe what I brought without realizing it into entrepreneurship. It's like being an artist is 
is being an outsider. It's like a choice to be an outsider. And, um, you know, like I certainly was an outsider when as an artist, I went back to school for accounting and I was like told that I was crazy by like all of my professors and peers. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, 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 I love this series of moves that you've made, letting curiosity drive you, but then the courage to kind of go against the grain in each setting, right? College saying, okay, I'm not country club as an artist saying, okay, but I'm going to focus on sales. And then as your career trajectory continued coming from a creative community and saying, Hey, I'm going to go accounting this combination of curiosity and courage and really lassoing that outsider mentality and, and pushing, using the momentum of it to push you forward. Um, man, that's a win, Hannah. This has been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, I think, I think it goes to the theme of democracy too. It's just like, we group each other, we divide each other up. We divide into these little like subgroups and then we act like our resources are only the ones right here in this group. And I think I've loved my whole career being like, well, what are they doing over there in the design world? Let's take some of that. Like, what are they doing over there in accounting? Let's take some of that. You know, that's a really, it's a fun way to go. And it teaches you a ton, like cross-pollinating like that is very powerful. I love it. So Hannah, if people want to learn more about you and more about Sunlight Tax, how should they find you? Sure. Um, Pretty much everything you could want to find would be on my website. So that is sunlighttax.com. Yeah, I've got a blog, lots of writing there and um, some free resources. If you want to download like a visual guide to uh, deductions, there's one of those on there. So yeah. I love it. And I have downloaded that digital guide. I have to tell you, it is gorgeous and illuminating. So if you want to think about kind of finance and accounting in both a really savvy way, but in a really gorgeous way, you got to head over to Sunlight Tax. So Mm -hmm. Hannah, this has been awesome. I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. um, And just to remind everyone, you've got to try trade. It is just incredible. I love it when these red bags show up on our porch. The bags are compostable. They have a pretty incredible CEO. Mike Lackman um, is really driving this brand, this vision. Man, is he someone who leads with innovation? And I think you'll find that um, by trying it out. So in addition to going to sunlighttax.com, head on over to drinktrade.com slash BNW. It's just three letters after that slash. It stands for brand new women. So drinktrade.com slash BNW and get $20 off your first three bags. And I want to hear what you think. So Hannah, thanks for being here. This has been incredible. Um, And I can't wait to keep building this podcast and, and sharing more stories. I'm so excited. I'm honored to be on your podcast, Scarlett. This has been so much fun. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Hannah.